0: The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, disturbing political ideas, and disturbing sexual references.
1: Friday, the 10th of May, 2019. It's day 26 of the federal election campaign. Hurrah! Today is E-8, so there's only only eight days to go. Now, you might think we've heard everything, but...
2: One Nation, though, we're not finished groping strippers.
1: Thank you, Nicholas. Oh, yes, we also bring you secret knowledge.
2: Britney
3: Spears was uh, brainwashed by Walt Disney and the CIA in the 1980s.
1: And Bill Shorten summarises my life in a single sentence.
0: This is appalling and disgraceful behaviour.
1: This is the 9pm arch window of the unlawful use of an egg. a sad bunch of fucking wowsers we've become. I mean, I refer, of course, to uh, Egg Girl, or rather uh, the reaction to uh, Egg Girl. If you've been living in a cave, here is the story of Egg Girl.
4: Scott Morrison has had a close encounter on the campaign trail with a Prime Minister becoming the target of an egg attack at a Country Women's Association event in southern New South Wales. Let's go live to federal political reporter Kerry Yaxley for the latest. Good afternoon, Kerry. Has the PM responded? Yeah, he has, Amber, just in the last few minutes. he said uh, An elderly woman, he said, was knocked over uh, in the incident. He said that she uh, was his main concern. He checked in with her uh, since the incident to see how she was going. He described it as ugly. He even threw in a pun saying he didn't want to over-egg it but said that we basically uh, in this country need to disagree better. Bill Shorten also has addressed it and he described it as disgraceful.
3: We've just got to disagree better about these things. Just because you have a difference of view to someone doesn't mean that you have to engage in these sort of ugly types of protests. I mean, it's just not the way we should do things. I I mean, we're civilised people. We don't have to go running around doing that.
0: This is appalling and disgraceful behaviour. In Australia, we have violence-free elections. People are allowed to protest peacefully. But anything approaching violence is completely unacceptable.
4: To recap what happened, Mr Morrison was chatting to a group of people after he gave a speech to a Country Women's Association event in the marginal New South Wales seat of Farah. A young woman approached him from behind. She tries to hit him on the head with an egg. She uh, appears to make contact. The egg doesn't break. Uh, She is dragged away by uh, the PM's security detail. Uh, She was uh, questioned by media outside. There you go. You can see that the egg uh, sort of seems to skim the top of the Prime Minister's head. Uh, outside the event, journalists asked, journalist asked the protester about her motive. She wouldn't say much. She mentioned uh, a video about Manus Island and said her act speaks for itself. You can see uh, in some of those pictures that she's clutching an egg carton. Do with... Why
0: does he deserve it? What what? what is the policies that he's you an expl- You could at least give us an explanation.
5: <laughs> us an explanation. <laughs> just go and, and follow his Twitter, whatever. <laughs>
4: She is at Albury Police Station. Currently, police expect to lay charges, probably common assault, Amber. Okay, Kerry, thank you.
1: Thank you, Kerry, yes. And uh, also to your colleagues from Nine News, I will say uh, that uh, the young woman in question, she's 24 years old, was also charged with drug possession. She had a bit of the weed upon her, it is alleged. Now, the drama of this egg which you will recall is the second political egg in just a few weeks. Um, uh, the drama was contagious.
0: Here's seven news. To breaking news, and Scott Morrison has been egged by a protester while on the campaign trail in New South Wales. The Prime Minister was hit from behind at the Country Women's Association event in Albury. He escaped mostly unscathed, with the egg failing to crack on impact. The woman was restrained and taken away by security. Mostly
1: unscathed. I mean, we're lucky, because where the fuck was Captain Getup when Australia needed a true superhero? The slack cunt. But mostly unscathed? I mean, how about totally unscathed? The skin wasn't even broken. Was there bruising? No. Although I did uh, appreciate uh, two other bits from Channel 7's coverage. One, they said that uh, the security team scrambled to uh, to retain the woman, restrain the woman. And they referred to the unlawful use of an egg against the Prime Minister. The unlawful use of an egg. is—that is, That is a new crime, apparently. And then over on Sky News, they even gave us a slow-mo of ScoMo. Sorry.
2: A gentleman in the back, it looks like he was a a security member of the Prime Minister's team, so this has just happened at the Country Women's Association. Uh, You can see very quickly an arm in a sort of lighter colour there, um, appears to have, looks like an egg at the Prime Minister's head, and it looks like it basically bounces straight off, so I'm sure he'll have a response there about... Um, not being too fussed by, and it looks like security grabbed the woman, we believe to be a woman, straight afterwards. So an interesting situation. The Very Women's interesting
1: situation there at the Country Women's Association. I wonder if uh, that young woman was a member. The, the CWA, uh, well-known for, for doing their scones and other things, is a far less conservative organisation than many people realise. Anyway, I'm I'm fascinated by, as many people are, by the really this massive overreaction to an egg. A egg. One egg. An earth. Um, here's Tanya Plibersek, deputy leader of the Labour Party. And I'm going to play the whole clip of her on ABC television because it it shows just how big a deal this
0: was. Well, I think it's terrible. I, I think it's, it's it, you know it's such a discourteous thing. it It would worry the people around the prime minister, his um, his uh, the people who were showing him around that day, his security detail would have wondered, you know, what comes next? Do they have to protect his safety from an even worse attack? It reduces people's access to parliamentarians. Like you were saying before, when incidents like this happen, security goes into overdrive. So it actually diminishes our ability to connect with voters and talk to them. So it's very bad for democracy. and. I think even if you don't agree with Scott Morrison, uh, you should respect the office of the prime minister of this country. We live in a a democracy. It's very important um, to respect our democratic processes. And can I say this last thing, Patricia? Uh, It's it's been said before, many people say it, the first person to raise their voice loses the argument. I think when we are um, having public debates about issues, behaviour like this doesn't win people to your cause. It actually turns people off your cause. So I think that um, whatever this point, this protester thought uh, she was making this morning uh, has been lost, and I think perhaps even... uh, I would say that, you know, whatever she was trying to convince people of, she's probably convinced more people of um, the the fact that her argument is um, not worth making a, a proper reasoned debate, that in fact she would have turned people off whatever cause she was hoping to promote.
1: Now, I have a, a few difficulties with that. One is this idea that if you raise your voice, you've lost the argument. No, that just means you're frustrated you're frustrated, you feel that you're not being listened to, uh, you feel that the uh, the person you're talking to is an idiot, you actually have a genuine emotional connection with what you're talking about. But no, if you raise your voice, you've lost. It's, it's this idea that if you swear, you've lost, which is all about... Suppressing those who are not part of polite society. Oh dear, you're just the riffraff. We can't have you saying things like that as part of the debate. Oh no, you're not being polite. Name me one revolution that was successful through people being polite. The other thing I find annoying with that, and and Tanya Plibersek really only hinted at it but so many other commentators were saying oh well it was only an egg sure but what if it had been a knife what if if it had been a gun well look what if a wonderful what if it had been a rocket launcher what if it had been a sack of live mice what what if it was it was a big cartoon rock like road one runner keeps getting squished by I mean it wasn't those things was it I think Mark Lawyers, uh, M-A-R-Q-U-E Lawyers in Melbourne, got it right. I mean, when Scott Morrison tweeted shortly after the event, he said, we will stand up to thuggery, whether it's these cowardly activists who have no respect for anyone or militant unionists standing over small businesses and their employees on work sites. I mean, that escalated quickly. What, What? Thug. Thuggery. An egg is thuggery. And cowardly? I don't know. I mean, to go up to the Prime Minister of Australia who's got his bodyguards with him, that takes guts. That's not cowardly at all. Cowardly would be tossing the egg from 200 metres away and and achieving nothing. All right, it achieved nothing anyway. But Mark Lawyer's comment on this was, Lady threw an egg at you and missed. You're not Franz Ferdinand. isn't that true? But you've got to remember, you've got to remember that the throwing of an egg in 1917 led to the creation of what was then called the Commonwealth Police, now called the Australian Federal Police. So the background, in the latter part of World War I, um, Australia was... Uh, deciding whether to introduce uh, conscription to the military because until then, every Australian soldier that had gone over to Europe to fight in World War One had been a volunteer. Well, on the 20th, 29th of November in 1917, there was a public rally about this issue in uh, a town in Queensland called Warwick. It's a rural town, and the Prime Minister was speaking there, Billy Hughes, Prime Minister at the time, and someone threw an egg at him. And he says that if he'd remembered to bring his pistol with him, he would have shot the person, Like, but he'd forgotten to bring a pistol. So he was so concerned uh, by the fact that, that this person threw an egg at him and the fact that the Queensland police weren't terribly interested in prosecuting this heinous crime, Billy Hughes decided to form the Commonwealth Police, And he even referred to, or or at least regarded Queensland as a rogue state because the Queensland police force uh, hadn't acted. So there were uh, provisions uh, for the Prime Minister to do things under what was called the War Precautions Act of 1914. So Billy Hughes created a plainclothes police force uh, called the Commonwealth Police, as I, I said, because he was worried that Australia was at the risk of a revolution or some other action by a variety of organisations. Irish nationalism was a thing. Left-wing threats and and anti-war activities, and I suppose communism was a thing. Sinn Féin was named. The industrial workers of the world was named, the so-called Wobblies. I hadn't realised this until later. So... Uh, At its peak, this uh, Commonwealth police force, the initial one, was about 50 people. And nearly all of them were based in Queensland, despite it supposedly being a national police force. And there were tensions between the federal police and the Queensland police as all this went along. And it's, it's worth remembering that from those eggy beginnings... This anti-egg role is still important today, as we saw earlier this week. You must remember that Australian federal police officers train for years for moments just like this. So these, these two cops who, who failed to prevent the Prime Minister being hit with an egg, imagine the respect they're going to earn from their colleagues because finally all their training came to its I am 100% certain that not a single police officer, federal or state, in Australia will laugh. And I understand that uh, there will be a new Australian Federal Police badge for exceptional bravery, uh, probably also to be awarded to civilians who survived such, such dangers. And it's just a little lapel pin in the shape of a of a fried egg. And I think that that speaks to what it means to be Australian. Look, I can't take any of this seriously, because in my day, any Conservative MP couldn't appear at an event without a few bits and pieces being lobbed at him. And I'm glad to see the CWA managing to keep this fine tradition alive. I mean, back when I was at at university, and you must remember this was when everything was in Roman numerals and we wore togas and things, but in those days, the South Australian police couldn't send a car into Adelaide Uni without protest. One Prosh day, that was the end of a uh, second term, you know, muck up day and raise money for charity. The police had two cars stationed outside the back um, gate to the university, daring not to come inside. And meanwhile, medical students were catapulting eggs at them. And I love these catapults. They were a three-person catapult. So you, you needed to, to string together a bunch of, of rubber medical tubing, which, of course, they had access to. So in their unstretched form, they were a couple of metres long. And you tied them uh, to a plastic bucket. So you then had two people holding these these rubber hoses, which you then... With the third person pulling the bucket back, stretch them from about two meters to—I mean, as far as they could go, as far as the strength uh, of these 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 people could could stretch it—and then you'd lob an egg or a few eggs into the bucket, let it go, and form. Now these catapults could throw eggs like up to about 300 meters, and so from inside the university, they were just lobbing eggs at these police cars that uh, then got got covered with all of this eggy goo it was fantastic now all right this year uh, in particular there was a problem because a young woman walked just happened to walk in front of the catapult as it went off an egg hit her in the chest very close range and stopped her heart okay that's that was cool though it's all cool because they were medical students right but uh yeah for some reason, anyway, the university administration uh, kind of banned the catapults from there on. Uh, that was also the year that uh, Prosh Day uh, cost more in criminal damage settlements than it raised money for charity. I think about eight people were hospitalised. <laughs> those were those were the days. Anyway, look, when I told this story on Twitter, people would go, wait, wait, what? Stop the hut. I said, look, don't be a wuss. You know, she wasn't dead for all for all that long. Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. And this brings us back to uh, Scott Morrison. The egg did not crack even after bouncing off the Prime Minister's head and onto the ground. So why are we all fussed by this? Get a grip, people. Ego is not a dirty word. <laughs> Hello, I'm Garian. Welcome to The Edict. On The Edict, uh, this time, as we have been doing a few times lately, Nicholas Fryer joins us from Adelaide. Hello, Nicholas. You, hey. I'm very well, thank you. Uh, considering the last episode uh, went for four hours, did you listen to the 9pm uh, the minor party policy Christ, filibuster? No. Goodness me. <laughs> I don't, I don't blame you I mean
2: we have to listen um, to these people enough without you beaming their policy prescriptions into my head at night it's just a dreadful behavior
1: yeah it was it was a bit heavy on the Nazis uh for which I, i'm I'm afraid that's the polity we live in now but I do have a few uh clarifications uh one is that for the love Australia or leave party I was trying to un I couldn't comprehend what they mean by having an unexit, and then I realised only later that they meant a UN ah. exit to get Australia out of the United Nations. Did yes. they say
2: how one was required to love Australia? Like, is there a is there a manual with with diagrams? I think there's a doll. There's probably a website. There's got to be a website with, <laughs> with with instructions and pictures. <laughs> I'm I, I'm I'm ready I'm ready for uh, no. images of myself loving Australia to be to be uploaded to the internet. I'm ready for that.
1: Well, I, th- I think Australia first uh, really started being an Australia that you had to love during the John Howard era. So I think what we're talking about here is John Howard's sex dolls
2: or John Howard's notion of love, which is obviously sexed it right down there quite dramatically from the images I had in my head a moment ago. I mean. It involves cricket. It involves cricket and a lot of eyebrows. <laughs> I need a moment.
1: Look, unexit was unexit. Um, I I would also like to thank. I think the people who did ship me quantities of alcohol towards the end. I was drinking Bundy Op, Bundaberg Rum, overproof, which is fifty-seven point seven percent alcohol, and I was thinking. Uh, belch.
2: I bet you were.
1: And I was thinking... <laughs> I'll have to leave that in now, won't I? I was, <laughs> I was thinking that, uh, you know, that'd be fine to drink straight because I had something else to drink first. But it was more foul than I'd <laughs> guess possible. Like Bundy OP, for those who haven't tried it, tastes like molasses, petrol and wife bashing. <laughs>
2: It is disgusting. That's possibly not the worst decision you've, you've made that evening. I'm sorry, you just told me that you thought you would be okay drinking neat overproof rum because your stomach was suitably sort of buttressed by all the booze you'd had to start with.
1: I, I just had a bottle of Passion Pop. Say what? Passion Pop. No, I'm sorry,
2: you're going to have to explain that one. <laughs>
1: oh, dear. Okay, so... Passion Pop is $4.90 a bottle, and it's it's a flavoured wine. <laughs> so you know the soft drink Passiona, which has got that sort of is it real or is it not passion fruit yeah. taste? So imagine that with a bit of alcohol added and, and more bubbles. Right. Nine point five percent alcohol. I mean, it's been around for some decades, and and back in the past, it was your standard teen leg opener. Uh, because and you you know it, it. I'm sure it's not targeted like this at all, but you know you can afford it with your pocket money. <laughs> <laughs> and for various reasons, there's this long running joke about passion pop. So, someone said they'd tip the podcast if I started on a bottle of Passion Pop, which I did, and it's disgustingly sweet. And I was certainly belching after that because it just has too many bubbles. Uh, And since then, this is only days later, since then someone has sent me... A half case of Passion Pop because it comes in other flavors now. It comes in three flavors. So I've got six, two bottles each. The flavors are original, mixed berry, and pink.
2: And regret.
1: And <laughs> regret. It's terrible. Um, so that happened. And then um, the other night on Twitter, a whole like we were chatting about it, and I was resisting sending more. And then on Thursday morning, Dan Murphy's messages me on Twitter to say, oh, basically they they'd seen, oh, you know, you are having people freighting you Passion Pop, and they said, oh, if you'd like to find Passion Pop in your local area, phone one three hundred, blah blah blah. We'll we've, let got you know. a, we've got
2: a pallet of it out the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we haven't it's still been a at, big oh, seller. Please don't.
1: It is. Still a big seller in what is called the flavoured wine category. There is no
2: category called flavoured wine. (laughs) (laughs) Wine tastes of grapes. That's the flavour of wine.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. no. It tastes of passion fruit and bubbles and sugar. It sort of congeals in your mouth. But, hey, $4.90 a bottle. There's an election campaign on, which we we do have to come back to, though, Nicholas. Did you know today... uh, Well, okay, I'm going to... I've said the podcast is a Friday podcast, but in fact we're recording this on the Thursday, May 9th, and it was today in... Or yesterday, as people are downloading this, in 1901 that the very first federal parliament sitting happened in Australia, in Melbourne at the Royal Exhibition Building. The other fact you need to know is that it's only... 38 days since the budget came down. That's all of this has happened in five weeks. Since what?
2: The, what? the budget. Oh, that, oh the, the pretend, the advert. yes. Yeah, okay. I remember that.
1: The, yeah. Yeah. Although I don't know how that's going because the Prime Minister has not kind of really got his head around what's happening. Like earlier in the week, there was that UN report on on species extinction, and you know a million. I, I like I, look. I'll use New York Magazine's headline for the story. Uh, the story here: Humanity is about to kill one million species in a globe-spanning murder-suicide. I thought, yeah, all right. Uh, so, so Scott Morrison's first response is to complain about all this green tape affecting development applications. By, by which, you know, we all mean coal mines. Uh, and then... Uh, in a press conference uh, the other day he he ref- sort of said, Oh no, 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 we've we've got an environmental law bill which was in the last week of parliament, we we tabled that, it's legislation's been passed and since then all the journalists and others have been going, sorry, what, what are you talking about? There's only the only vaguely environmental related legislation passed this year was back in February and it was about animal testing and other things. It's like what and and now they're not like the prime minister's office has gone very, very
2: quiet. So
1: so that's one of my favourites so far this week.
2: Mine have been manifold. Still, I mean, I, I said on the show last week that one of the great things about an election campaign is that politicians occasionally tell the truth, and we had an outburst of truth telling about our about ourselves, d- deeply revealing about the the state of the nation last week. Um, on the 30th of April, we learnt that the One Nation Queensland Senate candidate Steve Dixon had been filmed groping some strippers, which incurred the wrath of his party leader. Dixon had been filmed a couple of months ago getting pissed and chatting with the National Rifle Association about how to make political mileage out of mass murder. But this time, apparently, he'd gone a bit far, um, except for the Nationals, uh, who, when asked if the revelation that One Nation were a bunch of grunting dick wavers with the morals of a stool sample would change their view about preferencing above Labor... Deputy Prime Minister McCormack said, no, you've got to do what it takes to get votes and to win at an election. And the fact is that the National Party policies probably closer align with One Nation than they ever did with the Greens or Labor. So when they tell you who they are, believe them. But that was nothing as to the events of the following day, May the 1st, kicked off with Peter Killen, endorsed Liberal candidate for the inner Melbourne seat of Willis, who'd spent his time spruiking membership of the Victorian Liberal Party to those of a similar worldview, as a bulwark against the encroaching homosexualisation of the nation. His neighbour and colleague, Liberal Member for Goldstein, Tim Wilson, maintained a dignified silence, I assume, and there were no reports whatsoever that reached my ears, at least, of Tim attending at Mr Killen's house to smear faeces on his car and pour bong water through his letterbox, although my guess is that probably would not have hurt Tim's re-election prospects much had that news come out. Uh, Tim's re-election prospects were probably also not massively impacted by the ALP's decision to pulp a bunch of how-to-vote cards in his electorate after they had prefaced, uh, ahead of uh, Wilson, a a former One Nation supporter and proponent of the now fairly mainstream theory that Jews are all descended from lizards. The ATLP did get round to disendorsing Northern Territory Senate candidate Wayne Kerneth over some anti-Semitic posts. Uh, Bill Shorten said that he'd never met the bloke about 2.7 seconds before somebody posted a photo of the two of them having a cuddle, uh, an ALP candidate for Melbourne, Luke Creasy, who looks about 15, turned out to be 29, but it was some rape jokes and porn that he shared online when he was 22 that took him down, albeit after two days of party blathering. But really it was it was the Liberals' week overall. Lib candidate for Isaacs, Jeremy Hearn, was overheard sharing his very private views on a permanently stored, searchable global information network used by everyone in the world, that uh, Muslims are sneaky little bastards and probably treasonous plotting to introduce Sharia, Uh, although no mention of lizards, as far as I can tell. WA Liberal Ian Goodenough told The World that he and fellow Sangroper had met with Neil Erickson of the United Patriots Front. Big Neil was convicted a couple of years ago of inciting contempt for Muslims when he made a video in which he pretended to decapitate somebody to protest approval for a place of worship. Andrew Hastie said that he didn't meet with them at all at the rally that he and Goodenough had attended in support of embattled South African farmers with socially approved skin tones. One Nation, though, were not finished groping strippers. Uh, ONP candidate for Leichhardt, Ross MacDonald, prefers his strippers to be young and Thai, presumably because his preferred fare is harder to get. Uh, His Facebook feed included a picture of a digitally created photorealistic centaur with the face, breasts and legs of a 20-year-old swimsuit model. Only she wasn't wearing a swimsuit and there were four of those long, long legs. The candidate's comment on the photo was that he was having interesting thoughts. Uh, as were many of us, I suspect, by this point. The Liberal candidate for the Tasmanian seat of lions, Jessica Whelan, was added as saying some dreadful things on social media, which she said were fabricated and that she wouldn't resign. Within 48 hours, some people had found some more dreadful things that she definitely had said, including that the borders had been clo- should be closed to Muslims, and so she was dumped and is now running on an independent shooting darkies, you know it makes sense platform. Stuart Bond's. One Nation candidate for Hunter in New South Wales posted a video on YouTube in which he blessed us with his wisdom that the only thing worse than a gay man with power is a woman with power. Uh, His boss, a woman with power, was starting to get a bit emotional by this point. Uh, Gurpal Singh, candidate for the Victorian seat of Scarland, told us everything we already knew about the Victorian Liberal Party when posts of him from 2017 emerged in which he described same-sex marriage as against nature and raising an issue of pedophilia. And finally, for this accounting at least, the Clive Palmer Vanity Party candidate for Canberra, Tony Hanley, used Facebook to mock dykes, fem nasties, and big fat fugly chicks, uh, called the children of immigrant taxi drivers future terrorists and Indonesians lazy and stupid. Mr Hanley, who is himself a big fat and clearly ugly to the fucking bone, remains the Liberal Party's number two preference in that seat after, of course, its own no-doubt stellar candidate. But I have to say that after wading through all of that, the news that really caused me this week to despair for humanity were reports that a competitor, competitor Ya Watanabe, was disqualified from a major tournament of a popular sirens and sorcery card game, Magic the Gathering. A member of the Magic Hall of Fame, Mr Watanabe, I didn't check, but I feel fairly safe in assigning the gendered honorific without looking him up, uh, was tossed from the Mythic Championship 2 in London after judges found markings on his card's sleeves in breach of the rules. Mr Watanabe was, the last time I looked, protesting his innocence. But in these compromised times, that is a big claim for any of us. Still, how innocent are you feeling just at the moment? Uh, Not very,
1: I must say, Nicholas. Um... uh (sighs) I, I mean, I feel like any hope that I had for the goodness of human nature, uh, and you must understand, I I'm a big believer in the fundamental uh, joy and wonder of humans in all their many forms. I I feel that that has fled me. I mean, cheating at uh, cheating magic the at gathering. magic.
2: I mean, there's not. It doesn't. It really doesn't get lower than that, does it? And the, and the, the the brazenness with which uh, you yeah continue to protest his innocence after the damning photographs emerged was, was just it was sad. It was sad.
1: Oh. I mean that's the problem these days. There are always damning photographs. We, we live in a different time and I, I don't think that our politicians are realising that. Uh, that they are, or at least the ones um, nominating themselves now have not grown up with the socials and therefore, they don't realise that all this stuff is there to be found. Uh, I, I spoke about that a few years ago, um, in fact, at a conference. The idea that there will be a generation, and this is it, that fuck up their lives, that they'll they'll end up being completely unelectable as politicians, completely unemploy- unemployable as teachers or or any other job where where they have to interact with children, because. Who amongst us hasn't said some daft thing in our life, but now those daft things live forever? And I've always thought that there'll be, like, another generation that will either learn to, you know, shut the fuck up in public uh, or they will learn from playground age that... None of this matters. Everyone is a thousand shades of grey. Everyone has has dirt. Everyone has something that could be taken out of context. And who cares? I mean, we, we have this idea now of politicians have to be these these kind of airbrushed puppets without any... You know difficulties in their life without any statements that are that are wrong without any flaws. I'm like who the hell is that?
2: Yeah, no, and I know. And it, was, it would be lovely to think that we are heading for a world in which we have a nuanced understanding of people and their utterances. Um, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't hold uh-huh. out much hope. Do you remember? Do you remember in the in the in the orties or whatever it is we ultimately ended yeah. up deciding to call the the dec- decade before the one that is now ending um, for about five or six years there or iterations there, we had a series of this is the first great social media election. And now uh, like they were they were oh, yeah. we, had, we, had, we had, quite had quite a few. We them. had several of them and we we're told repeatedly <laughs> that each time finally we've got a candidate who is managing to harness this 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 new platform and this new way of, of connecting with voters. I somehow feel that we may <laughs> This is the first genuinely social media election because it's not the way the politicians are using it, but it's the way they're all getting caught, saying in public things they should really not.
1: Yes. Have you voted yet? I mean, I know the election's on 18th of May, but have no, you voted No, I haven't. Yet? I'm
2: afraid I'm far too much of a fan of the of the process, the circus, the sausage, the sense of occasion. I, I love it. I actually, I actually, thoroughly enjoy voting.
1: A, I must admit, so do I. And and uh, you know, uh, some years I deliberately go and do an absentee vote somewhere else in the state because that's the wonderful thing about Australia's voting because system. Because it's your it can right vote anywhere. Yes. it's your the democratic in the world. right.
2: It's nice. To, it's lovely to say that, isn't it? It is my democratic yeah, it, right. It is. We can this. feel so fucking
1: smug, <laughs> but uh yes at the new south wales um state election uh 2 months ago i i did vote early and uh, it was ah oh, that's it
2: yeah <laughs> yeah it's like filling yeah. out a survey at the end you know, did you did you how did you find your experience at rebel sport <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i haven't voted yet either but just briefly this is Like another record year, the figures from the Electoral Commission are that uh, by the end of Wednesday this week, 1.4 million people had cast their vote at an early voting centre and nearly 240,000 were cast just on Wednesday. Uh, And uh, one of the people at the... uh, Damon... Oh, shit, I've forgotten his name. But one of the wonderful... People at the Parliamentary Library at Parliament House in Canberra has has plotted this for the last uh, three elections plus this one. And again, it's way ahead. Now, people say, oh, yeah, but there's more people. So, No, no, even if you look as a percentage of enrolled voters, we are looking at, at the chart maybe two-thirds more. Even earlier in the process, it was double the rate of the previous election,
2: of people voting early, it's still a bit nineteenth century. I mean, I mean, why can't I just bank my next ten votes now? I should just be able to log on and just say, like, for the for the foreseeable future, this party is going to continue to espouse this particular v- version of toxic nonsense that drives me bonkers. This other party is also going to do so. Chances are, my vote's going to end up with this third Bob. Therefore, just slap it down now. I'll let you know if I change my mind.
1: Are you proposing i am
2: proposing market? an opportunity just to take this off my plate. Like literally, I'll ring you when I change my mind. Seriously, <laughs> know, you know, phone me.
1: <laughs> oh, sort of like a, a sort can, of direct can, yeah, debit to that's
2: pay. That's it. Your phone I can tell bill. you right now. Until we actually have three hundred and fifty parts per million carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, shut the fuck up. Here's my vote. Done.
1: I could go. I, I could. But what if you change your mind and think, no, I do love Australia. I don't want to leave it.
2: uh, I'm still waiting to find out what I have to do to love Australia. Still, I'm not ready to sign up for that. (laughs) No. (laughs) How how much lube is involved? Fair (laughs) enough.
1: Elephant stamp time. (laughs) Elephant stamp time. Each episode, or most episodes of this uh, podcast, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And my thinking is I need to move these fairly quickly because I've actually got four this time. Nicholas, these will all be new to you because I know you haven't read the Never do. Sheet.
2: Never prepare for uh, anything still. It just wastes time.
1: Okay. Stamp number one goes to Paul, a startup founder in New York. Uh, this is actually a story from 2017, uh, but it was drawn to my attention on the Twitters uh, this week. And it's about micro dosing of LSD in Silicon Valley startup. So Paul, this startup founder, is also uh, recently his company has in, uh, installed some project management software called Asana. Uh, but Paul says he and employees are less stressed since they started microdosing LSD, but he couldn't be absolutely sure about the cause and effect. He thinks it may have also been uh, this new project management software that they started using about the same time. So they're more organised. So uh, a quick elephant stamp. Of approval for excellence in the category of thinking to Paul, who who doesn't know whether his company is working better because of software or access. What
2: is the drug? I want to know what the the drug testing workplace drug testing regime is like at that particular startup. You know, how many lizards am I holding up? You know, <laughs> not enough. Here, take another one of the take another one of the blue ones. Take some. Take another one of the blue ones and come back in an hour. I love it. I do
1: actually know of an information security company back in the 90s, I want to say, that that did get a defence contract. Uh, this is an American company. And to get a contract for the Pentagon, you actually had to have a drug testing regime in your company. So this company did indeed tick the box and said, yes, we have one. And their regime was, bring in your drugs and we will test them. <laughs> before, before we build the <laughs> giant
2: laser to kill the space octopus. <laughs> You're not meant to tell people about the space. They already know still. You can't hide these things anymore.
1: Which brings us to the IPA, the Institute of Public Affairs. Uh, this is... Uh, Uh, a woman from the IPA called Bella Dabrera. And uh, look, I'll I'll let Chris Kenny ask the question.
6: One of the first
3: things I wanted to talk to you about was um, the climate change debate and the way we had all the school students yet again out in a protest a strike last Friday. What's your view of the way that students, uh, school students in particular, are being involved in these protests?
5: Look, I think it's a really sad indictment on society when... You've got children with, you know, Elmo backpacks, essentially threatening the prime minister with death. Um, I, I, I can't imagine that anyone would have guessed five years ago that that would be the, the, the where we would be at in society in 2019. Um, you know, the image of these girls weeping on television, genuinely terrified that they've got 12 years until the end of the world, um, and you know, calling the prime minister a monster. But this, this is all coming from the parents and the school teachers. This is totally irresponsible. That that this is the kind of um, world that they're creating for these these children who are anxious and crying, and I mean, it's just it's just appalling.
1: There's so much to unpack there, but but obviously, this is my favourite bit.
5: You've got children with you know Elmo backpacks essentially threatening the prime minister with death. Have your children, uh either
1: ever worn an Elmo backpack or threatened the Prime Minister My children with are very,
2: very disappointing to me in this regard, to I mean, if I, if I were their <laughs> age, I would be angry enough to start burning down buildings, not to mention elected officials.
1: Well, this comes back to my point about, you know, when, when people do get angry, they express their anger and we're seeing a lot of young people expressing their Shut anger. up while we kill anger. the planet. Just
2: shut up, go back to school while we destroy the planet. It's fine, kids. That's what you should be doing and anything else is cultural Marxism. Yeah, it's lovely.
1: Stamp number three goes to someone who on Twitter is just known as T, the letter T, and his Twitter handle T underscore T2 Oh, fuck it, and a bunch of numbers. His, uh, his, uh, He's from the north of Queensland, and his bio is libertarian, shooter, lefties fuck off, business owner, anti-PC, love free speech, especially if it offends. Ha 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 There's lots of exclamation marks in that. And make Australia free again. So he's a thinker. And... Uh, He found a screenshot on Twitter, which I love. Someone called uh, Bonerman Inc. Uh, tweeted, I love working at the AEC pre-polling centre in Gladstone, Queensland, and ripping up pre-poll ballots that first preference La Fraser Anning, uh, who, as previously discussed, is a Nazi. And, And T says... I reported the alleged electoral fraud in Gladstone to the AEC website. They didn't accept my screenshot because it wasn't in PDF. Also rang and reported it. Must be happening a lot. <laughs> And, and for those that don't know, this, this is like a standard joke every election. Um, you know, it's been done with the Chatswood Post Office in Sydney for the marriage equality debate that someone, and I know who, just said, oh, yeah, I work at the post office and we're just ripping them all up um, and so on. So... The Australian Electoral Commission on Twitter has been has been working beautifully. Uh, they said, look, we investigated this and it is a false statement. No issues at Gladstone or anywhere else. This individual is not known to the AEC. We have strict ballot paper security in place and all employees sign neutrality declarations. And this guy says, anywhere else, eh? Yeah, right. Excuse me if I find your investigation perfunctory at best and non-existent at worst. Electoral Commission back, the investigation work that you know absolutely nothing about. We take these matters extremely seriously and move swiftly to ensure that there was no issue at the Gladstone Pre-Poll Centre, which there is not. T comes back, don't lecture me, do your job. AEC, shutting down false information like this and false allegations of insufficient follow-up is my job. Our operational people have also done their job by ensuring nothing was out of the ordinary at the Gladstone pre Centre. I suggest we move on. T's response there, do your job. Don't appear on my Twitter. I reported an issue to you. Do your job, public servant.
2: And then he put his beer down.
1: <laughs> put his fucking tablets down. So, elephant stamp for tea and also a very quick elephant stamp for Agence France-Presse, the uh, French press agency, who ran a story. For more than 30 years, plastic phones shaped like the cartoon cat Garfield have been washing up on French beaches. The mystery is now solved. A shipping container, which washed up during a storm in the 1980s, was found in a hidden sea cave. So... A container full of Garfield phones fell off a ship, and now they're washing up. Like, mystery, mystery, something like what the fuck else oh, would it have been? Bullshit.
2: Be? I've got footage of George Soros personally throwing Garfield phones into the ocean. Goddamn globalists!
1: This podcast is made possible by. Yeah, you know how this goes. You. Subscribe, you send contributions. Uh, Thank you this episode uh, to Sebastian Tochman, Rowan Pierce, Mark Newton, and two people who choose to remain anonymous. Uh, What I need to draw your attention to, though, is that there's a special dealer currently... Half of all tips will go to the Black Dog Institute um, for their work on uh, mental health, because God knows at the end of this uh, election campaign, we will all need help with our mental health. So right up until when Anthony Green of the ABC calls the election result on Saturday the 18th of May, 50% of all tips go to Black Dog. Uh, I did carve 400 off the top. There were reasons for that. Currently, uh, as we record this, the total stands at one thousand eight hundred and eighteen dollars and ninety-three cents, because my you're idiots and you've sending silly amounts of money. Uh that works out at seven hundred and nine dollars forty-seven cents uh to Black Dog. I think we can do better. I uh, we've we've got, you know, more than a week to go, so we can wrap that up. Go to com slash tip, com slash tip. And uh, empty your wallets. Do you know documentary maker Adam Curtis? Uh,
2: no, I don't think so.
1: Okay, he makes. He, he works for the BBC. Oh, so he's not he Australian. Makes... I won't
2: have to love him when I when I love Australia. No. 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 Okay, no. You great, can leave great. him. It's
1: quite all right. Uh, look, check him. Check him out, Adam Curtis. But he has a theory uh, about why uh, the boomers are so insufferable when it comes to climate change. And here's a a clip from a a couple of years back from a a podcast with British comedian uh, Adam Buxton.
3: Starting in the mid-90s, the first wave of baby boomers began to face the inevitability of their own death. And because they are at the centre of the universe as far as they're concerned in a narcissistic age instead of facing up to their own death they projected it onto the world you know, if I'm going to die the whole world's going to die so what was actually essentially a political and economic and scientific problem became co-opted by a sort of dark pessimism about their own deaths and what could have been a really good attempt to change the world scientifically economically and politically using the, the dangers of climate change but got imprisoned in a cage of the fear of death and it still hasn't escaped from it which is why so many people find it quite difficult to find inspiring yeah because it's coated with a feeling of pessimism and mortality
1: i mean it's cheery stuff uh nicholas and i think i know the answer to this but are you pessimistic about the future?
2: I have my moments. Yes, I do. I do. I've been listening to some wonderful podcasts lately. Um, uh. One that has been absolutely marvelous uh, in the last week has been uh, one made in association with the London Review of Books called Talking Politics, which is just superb. And one of the issues they were discussing recently is the likelihood that once the Arctic sea ice is gone that part of the world warms up quite a lot. The fact that the Arctic sea ice melts doesn't raise the Mm. water level terribly much because it's already floating there anyway. But the next thing is that Greenland goes, and when Greenland goes, the sea level goes by seven metres. Probably a little bit of leeway on there, but I did actually quickly go and get a topological map of South Australia to try and work out my future property prices. Uh, But I, you know, uh, I think of it every time I walk along Circular Quay, but they can afford it. They can, afford to, they, can, they can afford they can afford they can I'll afford to put up the barriers
1: absolutely uh, do you have a favorite conspiracy uh, theory
2: there are so many to choose from i mean i, I guess i guess that i guess the, the, I the medieval blood libel that the, the jews use christian babies to uh, to leaven the passover bread or whatever it was that that's, that that, that one that one has a certain antiquity to it it has a certain old world charm you might say
1: yeah, mine mine is chemtrails because the thing about chemtrails is, all right, you know, the, these aircraft are, are, are dumping chemicals, except, you know, that's just contrails. It's something that's explained by very simple physical phenomena. But the idea that these ordinary commercial airliners, of which there are tens of thousands of flights every day around the planet, have somehow for decades concealed the fact from the entire public, that that they're secretly loading chemical tanks into them and spraying them out. Like, where is a single person who has seen this happening? And I'm not talking about those that are the, uh, if you like the the conspiracy nuts. No, surely one of us, an ordinary passenger. At an airport, someone's sitting and having a, a a coffee while waiting for their flight to board. And and taken out
2: the high-definition video camera odd. that every single one of us keeps in our pocket these days, and perhaps just caught a little bit of it on film.
1: Exactly. But Adam Curtis has a, a theory about conspiracy theories. He thinks that they return some of the, the mystery to life, uh, some of the magic. So uh, here's what he said on the, the aforementioned podcast.
3: You see, I think the thing about our time is that we're living through a period where those in charge are very pragmatic, functional and utilitarian. So everything, if if you work in an office, you know that everything is measured. Measured outcomes, measured this. Economics dominates the whole of politics. Everything is practical. So everything is very, very functional, very pragmatic. And I feel that in reaction, what's yearning to come through, and I often think this is where conspiracy theories are signals of that something's trying to burst through, which is to try and re-enchant the world and make it magical again. Yes. And mysterious. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Britney Spears was uh, brainwashed by Walt Disney and the CIA in the 1980s. Is that a real one? Oh, God, yeah. That's really big. And that, um, it, but the trouble is with the brainwashing, it only lasts for about five or six years, which is why all the Mouseketeers... I think all the Musketeers were brainwashed. Uh, which is why then, five or six years later, they go mad, because zzz, the brainwashing has gone wrong. Okay, It's the Illuminati, I think, who are behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Illuminati working with Walt Disney and the CIA using their brainwashing techniques they developed in the 1950s. They all came together somehow in the 1980s and took the Musketeers and turned them into robots. Quite what for, no one seems to know, but that's one of the big conspiracy theories. But what I find fascinating about it is that it's, it's like a magical world, isn't it?
1: And I think what's interesting about that is, isn't the Disney World the Magic Kingdom?
2: And I mean, I'm I'm always excited to be part of any podcast which includes the phrase, all of the Mouseketeers were brainwashed. But.
1: (laughs) There are so many many great cellophytes in that
2: interview. Are we tracking these people? (laughs) I mean, how many of them have since been elected to high office?
1: (laughs) There's been dozens, possibly hundreds of Mouseketeers over the years. I mean, They're out this there, goes and I decades. bet
2: no one's keeping a tab on them now. Where are they meeting in darkened rooms? Where are they meeting where we can't see them?
1: Well, the CIA keeps them hidden.
2: Good. I mean, I'm glad someone's on we it. We need to move on. Oh, well, it's time for some some serious political analysis, I think. I think here we go because, uh, <laughs> as as has been observed, yeah. I am a a trained sort of science-y head who believes in reality and numbers and, and reason and stuff like that. And more importantly, I am someone who is who can still remember just enough Year Eleven mathematics to do this. So so stand back because I am going to try science here. At the last election, Malcolm Unturn- Malcolm Turnbull's very unwise double dissolution in two thousand. 2016, One Nation got four senators up, including Her Majesty, uh, but then promptly went to pieces. Now, for the purposes of this analysis, I'm going to set aside the Empress of Xenophobia herself on the basis that she cannot be separated from the brand where Pauline goes, there is One Nation. But of all the other three senators, none of them lasted two years. Rod Cullerton lasted less than six months. By the end of that year, he was bankrupt and ipso facto not a senator anymore, he was replaced by his brother, brother-in-law, remember that? In any event, the party had started to decay. In October of the following year, it was discovered that Malcolm Roberts wasn't eligible either because he was a joint citizen of both Australia and the Federal Republic of Wa in the Moron Nebula. Uh, and Brian Burston finally got sick of listening to her grace in about June 2018, and, and he walked, later accusing her of sexual harassment, which is an image I'll leave you to grapple with. Now, I used the word decay up there uh, deliberately because I was looking for a way to get to grips with the fortunes of smaller parties at recent elections, and there's no doubt that one feature is their tendency to evaporate in front of our eyes. The graph of the number of senators against time tends to slope down pretty fast, and there's something else that behaves in the same way. An amount of any radioactive substance decays over time, say the uranium atoms turning into thorium and radium, and they do it in a mathematically precise fashion, Half of the original substance is gone after a certain time, which we call the half-life. Wait the same time again, another half will be gone, leaving you with only a quarter left this time, and then another half goes in the same time again, leaving you with an eighth. And what I wanted to know was, do minor parties behave like other toxic, unstable substances and decay in that fashion? And the answer is yes. So take that, Ian Betteridge. I won't bother you with the mathematics, but I can confirm that the behaviour of those elected on the One Nation ticket at the 2016 election can be modelled in statistical terms, and it turns out that the half-life of the One Nation party is about 230 days. 230 days after the election, they're down to about half the numbers they had before. After 460, they've only got about a quarter of the original electors, electees left, and so on. Now, one of the stories this year is obviously Clive Palmer's re-emergence as the Thre- uh, threat from the north, uh, the white wobbler of Australian politics. Back in 2013, Clive himself managed to snaffle a lower house seat, of course, on a first preference vote of 26.5% and a margin of 53 votes after preference preferences were allocated. But he also got three senators inserted into the cavities of the body pol- politic. Plus, Ricky Muir also fined up as a sev- semi tra- uh, as a fellow traveller for about a week before he announced a decision in which he didn't actually use the words fuck this for a joke, but he probably should have done to save all of our sanities. After taking her seat, Jackie Lammy put up with Clive's aftershave for about 145 days before fleeing into the Tasmanian wilderness, excitedly broadcasting her enthusiasm for men with large penises. Glenn Lazarus lasted just a few more months. Dio Wang stuck around until the next election, at which he quite touchingly asked the voters of Western Australia to give him another bill a suggestion they probably just didn't hear in all the excitement. Um, Now, if you run the old log-scale ruler over all of that, it turns out that the Palmer genuflecting party had a half-life of about 150 days. Now, we hear that this time Palmer's candidates are signing contracts that says if they don't complete their turn, they've got to give the party 400 grand. And uh, so, I hereby give you the yardstick by which we can measure the the effectiveness of all of that. If the UAP decays, uh, decays at a slower rate than a 150-day half-life, it worked. Um, and that is what political stability looks like these days, apparently.
1: <laughs> fuck, I love science. Nicholas, I-, I want you to have a listen to this story from the Huffington Post and tell me what you think.
6: Recreational sports? Of course! Recreational drug use? Okay. But recreational oxygen? Okay guys, the air quality is getting so bad, people are actually paying a premium to breathe. Hi guys, I'm Kakaday for buzz 60. Portable oxygen in stylish tin cans may sound like something out of the future, but it's very on trend. Recreational oxygen is the all-natural alternative to coffee, energy drinks, or other supplements that can boost energy and increase alertness. So where can you find these tin cans of oxygen. Companies like Oxygen Plus offer canisters with 24 and 50 breaths. And in case you're bored by plain old regular oxygen, it also comes in peppermint and pink grapefruit flavors. Studies show the upside to breathing supplemental oxygen is improved mental clarity, cognitive performance, enhanced recuperation after physical activity, and can even help you get over a hangover. Celebs on board with the oxygen trend are Kim Kardashian, Mick Jagger, Madonna, and Justin Timberlake. The price is high a 24-pack of Oxygen Factor will set you back 280 bucks. But while air is free, energy isn't, and the Starbucks line is just getting longer. Buzz 16, now you know, pass it on.
2: They're going to really want to hope that 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 much-touted mental clarity really does not follow, or they're not going to get too many repeat orders, are they?
1: (laughs) That's actually from 2016. Um, And I want to thank journalist uh, Rowan Pierce from Computer World, and other crimes for opening this rabbit hole for me this week. As uh, you're definitely going to love some of this science, Nicholas. I have put in front of you uh, some of the claims from one brand of this uh, packaged oxygen called Big Ox O2, and it begins uh, by warning you that these these cans, which are about the same size as like a fly. A fly spray tin, right? It's it's that sort of thing, but they warn you that it feels light because oxygen is weightless.
2: Yeah, good, excellent, wonderful. I mean, that, I mean, it's always good when you have to reassure your punters that they have actually, you have actually sold them something.
1: <laughs> Just, I <laughs> Just, can. Yeah. It
2: may it may feel like a jar full of Emperor's new clothes, but it's really, really there.
1: <laughs> well, look, these guys uh they have a patented mouthpiece that delivers oxygen at a higher purity and concentration than any other recreational oxygen device in the industry. Is, is that, so there's that. Is
2: only a mouthpiece available or, or, or are other attachments available? Because I find often well, we'll get, things that we'll get taken that. taken, you know, in other manners can be quite... More fa- beneficial, more, yeah. More no. fast, fast acting. If you know what I mean.
1: I know. I I know where you're, the word you're looking for is is. Anyway, yes. Um, i flagging <laughs> possibly
2: <laughs> shelving. Don't look at me. I am not the suppository of wisdom.
1: So basically, this is as I say, it's it's this one. Uh, this is just one product. It's, it's ten liters of oxygen in a fly spray can. Um, and they reckon that's good for 100 to 200 breaths of one to two seconds each. And they they claim it is proven that it helps better physical stamina, endurance, improve mental clarity, energy and recovery, helps overcome fatigue, stress, jet lag, lack of focus and more, can be used as a hangover remedy for altitude sickness, for better concentration when studying and doing schoolwork, for driving when tired and t- to revive after a workout, and it's caffeine, calorie, and stimulant-free.
2: Very high in gluten, though. Oxygen, really, I mean, it's going to fuck you up. Fattening. Yeah.
1: They also say at the bottom that this product is not a prescription or a medical device. It is for recreational purposes only. Now... It's 90... Oh, you like this. It's 95% pure oxygen, which is 4.5 times the purity of the oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd, I, mean I'd, I just think they should go one... one that's true. That's true, this, right? Yeah, absolutely true. No, normally There's only 90%. 21%
1: yeah. oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere, and this is four and a half times pure.
2: Yeah, but that sort of that sort of tampering with with God's way is just not it's not it's not natural. I mean, what we should do is be packaging up the stuff that's 79% of the atmosphere and, and making <laughs> people breathe pure nitrogen for a while, especially when they buy this.
1: Well, the kind of people who'd buy this would buy that as an argument. You know that. <laughs> because it says at the bottom, uh, as I say, this is not a medical device, it's for recreational purposes only, recreational yeah. oxygen, right? They say it's not a substitute for individuals who use medical oxygen for health reasons because that's 99% purity. And yet, if you look at the bottom of the Amazon page, the the people who are buying this are also buying nasal cannulas, Roscoe medical 25 foot oxygen tubing swivel connectors and those little things you put on your fingertip to measure blood oxygen level so for medical purposes
2: indeed well the american healthcare system has has many quirks
1: <laughs> another another um product description, another seller of this oxygen, it said, oxygen, it's the fundamental vitality of life and a key part of a healthy lifestyle.
2: No argument with that. Uh, I I use it daily.
1: I love the questions uh, on on this product too. Can it go on an airplane? Someone immediately said, no, (laughs) because apparently airlines don't like pressurised oxygen in their thing. And then, can I take this underwater to breathe? And the first person says, probably yes. <laughs> second second person, absolutely no.
2: And the third one said, let us, which presumably he's <laughs> just popped up and said, just tell us how you get on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Set the
3: camera but that running.
1: Actually, uh, but that actually brings me to this week's news. A former Netflix creative director, has just raised $1.6 million for his startup that sells water in a can. And it's called Liquid Death because nothing's better than water at murdering your thirst. Now, how's that for branding? I've shown you a photograph of Mike Cesario. He looks like the kind of guy who'd invent this, doesn't
2: he? He looks exactly like this kind of guy who is. Just can't work out why he's not a trillionaire yet in his in his late 20s, but he's convinced that there's an idea out there somewhere.
1: Now, I've included a, a link to a YouTube video. Would you like to uh, click on that now and watch it?
2: Is it, is it compulsory?
1: Uh, it, it, it is.
2: <laughs> okay. Clicking.
0: Sourced and bottled in majestic mountains, liquid death mountain water will murder your thirst!
1: So, the blonde Germanic hiker in Lederhosen has just been attacked by a monster with eyes in its chest and a can of liquid death for a head, a hiker's head chopped off with an axe, office workers killed with an axe A skateboarder's legs cut off with an axe More murder Heads exploding More mayhem, car crash, thrash metal band. Liquid Death, available at Amazon. And a final gruesome shot.
2: Can, can we go back to the election, please? It was nicer. <laughs> People were nicer. <laughs> can we just I go back the I- to the Nazis and the bigots and the anti-Semites? Because they, they were much nicer than that.
1: I will I will just mention all right we'll do that but the uh, the thing I want to say the eco-friendly cans because apparently <laughs> aluminium is <still laughs> ecologically friendly what would the electrolyte uh with the electricity that's required to use it all right back to the election uh I've only got two things to quickly finish on one is that Michael Hing of the One Asian Party oh yes his How's name his name does not actually appear on the ballot paper. Oh no. And he did say it was a hundred percent real. Mm. But I've contacted him. He's very busy this week. Uh, but we might have a quick chat next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So, so right. he's not running. He's not he is not no, available he's not for actual- selection. No. As no. as the representative as of the citizens New of New South Wales, uh, no. Well, I think the state is poorer for it, and I think we'll come to re- we will come to regret that.
1: I I had people of various um, uh, Asian heritage, uh, including um, boomers who had migrated here in the sixties. Who, yeah, they were going to give him first preference. Good. Uh, so we shall see. Uh, so Michael Hing, you said after the eleventh. And I have seen your media schedule for this week has been pretty intense, so I'll let you get away with that. Uh, And I think something to look forward to this Sunday, the 12th of May, uh, the Liberal Party will be launching their campaign. I know we're five weeks into the election period, but with one week to go, they'll be launching the campaign. I'm sure it'll be wonderful. But I was, I was disappointed because apparently, I mean, Scott Morrison will launch it, but I, put a, a, I used science, i.e. a Twitter poll, to, to decide this, is would you, who would you rather, um, you know, headline the Liberal Party campaign launch? Only 1% said Scott Morrison. 21% would rather Captain Getter um, headline the launch. Uh, where's he gone? There you go. But 78%, a supermajority and more of Australian voters would like to see the Liberal Party campaign launch headlined by Trevor, a small lizard.
2: You know, I'm not sure those figures would shift very much if the question was, who's your preferred <laughs> prime minister?
1: <laughs> Trevor's a winner. Nicholas, thank you for your time.
2: Thank you for having me still. A pleasure as always.
1: Shall we chat after the election?
2: Yes, let's do that. I'm going to go and hide now f- until it's all over.
1: I think I will too. Bye.
2: Bye-bye. Well, that's all
1: the edict for now. Don't forget, help contribute to the Black Dog Institute. Go to Stilgarion.com slash tip. That's Stilgarion.com slash tip. The next episode uh, will be after Australia's federal election. Until then, I'm Stillgarian. Have a good one, please. Oh, and before I go, an important update which came to hand uh, just after this podcast was being recorded. Magic the Gathering Pro Yuya Watanabe has been found guilty and heavily punished by officials at the Magic Pro League, despite his protestations. Watanabe is banned immediately from DCI-sanctioned events for a period of 30 months. He is removed from the MPL, the Magic Pro League, and he is removed from the Magic Hall Of fame. That's a stern judgement, reports Kotaku.
0: The 9pm
1: edict
6: is a Skank Media production. Sorry.